romance book lovers, welcome to Tales from the Heart, where we post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now, we're reading Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week's episode is episode three, and it's chapter six and seven, as we start to investigate who offed Asa Worthington. Now, if you're eager to follow along or get a bit ahead, you can download the entire ebook for free at jennaheart.com. And never miss the mystery or romance by hitting the subscribe button. And remember, all the details and links that you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 6. Tess rolled over and willed the room to stop spinning. Opening her eyes to get her bearings, she saw the ice-covered yard through the sliding doors of her bedroom. Jefferson Tavern, Virginia, was known for its brilliant spring flowers and autumn leaves, but the guidebooks failed to mention its worst attribute, February. To Tess, February in Jefferson Tavern was like a month full of Mondays. It was dark, cold, and endless despite its being only twenty-eight days. The trees stood like dead twigs ready to break as the ice coated the branches. The dormant grass, lush and green for most of the year, now looked as peaked as she felt. Then there was the sleet. It had taken some time for Tess to remember the difference between sleet and freezing rain. Sleet, she determined, was like Slurpees falling from the sky, only without color or taste. The thought of Slurpees sent her stomach tumbling again. Scrambling from her bed, she made it to the bathroom just in time. When the nausea subsided, she leaned against the cast-iron tub, wondering if she should make an attempt to get back in bed, or stay where she was, toilet at the ready. As nice as her newly remodeled bathroom with the vintage tile and original tub was, the idea of spending the day on her bathroom floor seemed pathetic. Instead, she forced herself to stand and made her way to the kitchen to make tea. While the weather outside was cold and dreary, inside her home was warm and cozy. Tess loved her home. The location couldn't be beat as it was within walking distance to the historic downtown area and her office. Jefferson Tavern was founded in the 1700s and like many pre-revolutionary towns in Virginia, it preserved much of its architectural history. Tess's house wasn't as old, but the 1940s bungalow-style home retained its original charm. With its crown molding and arched doorways, buying the home a year ago had been a major milestone. She'd set out to rebuild her life and career, and her home was a symbol of her success in achieving both. The home had been in disarray when she bought it, but aside from the bathroom that needed a complete remodel, the rest of the home simply needed a good cleaning and a coat of paint to restore its beauty. Although Daniel called her home stark because it lacked photos and decorations, Tess felt the architecture of the home was all the decor it needed. Besides, the only photos she had, she'd burned when she made her break from her old life. She put a pinch of fish food in Buster's bowl, filled her tea kettle with water, and set it on the Wedgwood stove as she turned on the burner. Hopefully a cup of tea would settle her stomach, and a couple of pain relievers would stop the pounding in her head. Feeling better? She wasn't sure if she was relieved or annoyed to discover Jack Valentine standing in her kitchen doorway. It took a minute for the previous night to come back to her. Asa was dead, and Jack had camped out on her couch. Well, camped wasn't the right word. 
He didn't look wrinkled or rumpled enough to have camped. Even the stubble from the overnight growth of beard looked manicured. He could have stepped from the pages of GQ instead of her living room. He leaned against the doorframe, looking way too comfortable in her home. You don't look better. Thanks for sharing. He reached out to take her arm. Lie down. I'll make the tea. How about you leave? You're not a morning person, are you? Tess would have argued the point except that he was right. Even when she was feeling well and didn't have her past staring down at her, she wasn't a morning person. But she did feel bad, and lying down seemed like a good idea. She let him lead her to the couch. He picked up the folded blanket from the back of the couch and unfurling it, he laid it over her. How do you manage to be so well quaffed and perky? She asked. He gave her a quick grin. Do you have any faults? I don't take orders well. Oh yeah, why are you still here? Let me get your tea. Do you want some toast too? She frowned. No. She could hear him in her kitchen. She would never admit it to him. But it was kind of nice to be waited on. Within a few minutes, he returned with her tea. He sat on her coffee table as she maneuvered herself up to a sitting position. I didn't know chocolate tea existed, he said, handing her the cup. I have to special order it. Does it taste as good as it smells? You're welcome to make yourself some, since it appears you plan to stay a while. Nah, he said with a wave of his hand. I wouldn't want to overstay my welcome. She rolled her eyes and then turned her attention to her tea. How long have you been here in this house? He asked. About a year. It's a nice home. Good structure. Did you do the bathroom? Yes. Tess found herself anxious to hear his assessment of her home. She told herself his opinion mattered only because she knew he had experience in home renovation. It looks great. You match the original architecture of the home. I'm glad you like it. But where's your stuff? The pleased feeling dissipated. She scanned her living room. She had everything a living room needed. A couch, chair, coffee table. She even had one of her few indulgences in a chaise chair she loved to read in. What else did a living room need? What stuff? Where are your pictures and doodads? Doodads? Did you just use the word doodads? Yes. Doodads, as in figurines, vases, framed pictures, you know. Things that decorate your living space and make a house a home. One person's doodad is another person's clutter. Tess handed her cup back to him and reclined on the couch. You definitely don't have to worry about clutter. He looked around her living room and then back to her. You don't have a single decorative item? It really bothers you, doesn't it? Yes, it bothers me. You can learn a lot about people and the things they keep. You don't keep anything. I suppose that's good. I'd hate to be judged by the junk I collect. I think having nothing reveals as much. Her eyes narrowed. What did he think? That she was empty? Lonely? Uncreative? Even hotel rooms have more decor. He continued. Oh, for Pete's sake. Tess threw off the blanket and stalked towards the kitchen. She grabbed the small round bowl with a reddish-blue fish swimming inside. Here, meat buster. How's that for decor? She handed Jack the bowl. Much better, thank you. There was that dumb dimple again. Thank goodness for that. Now if you'll excuse me... She hurried out of the room with one hand over her mouth and the other over her stomach. She was sitting on the floor of her bathroom with her head propped against the side of the tub when Jack poked his head in. Tess, I'm sorry. Maybe you could just go now. He shook his head as he sat next to her on the floor. Sorry, I'm sticking. She groaned. How much worse could this get? Why wouldn't he leave? 
Maybe you could wait in the living room then, she said as a new wave of nausea hit her. Maybe. He pulled her unruly curls out of her face as she leaned over the bowl. But I think I'll stay. She was mortified and yet grateful at the same time. When the worst was over, he helped her to her bed. I'll get more tea, he said when she was settled. She shook her head. No, I give up. I'll just lie here and die. His lips twitched. Water, then. You need to keep hydrated. I'll pass. What should I tell Deputy Dan when he shows up to check on you? She thought about correcting Jack by telling him Daniel was police, not sheriff's department. But it was more work than it was worth. Just wake me. Tess, now isn't the right time, but I think maybe I'll need your services after all. He sat on the edge of the bed, adjusting the blankets around her. It seems like whatever Asa had planned will be postponed. She said, remembering their agreement from the previous night. Probably, but that's not why I'll need your help. You're not going to confess to murder, are you? I don't think I can handle that right now. I broke into his computer. It took a moment for the meaning of his words to compute in her brain. Wait, you are confessing? I didn't murder him. You did something, and I'm not in the right frame of mind to represent you, so keep it to yourself. It was difficult to hold her eyes open, so she closed them and willed sleep to take her away. I want you. You had your chance, she murmured as she let the fog surround her consciousness. She thought she heard him laugh. I'm talking about wanting you to be my lawyer. Tess gave her head a shake. She was going to embarrass herself even more if she didn't stay focused. She forced her eyes open. What did you do? I used Ace's computer and emailed some of the files on it to myself. Last night? Jack nodded. Tess rolled her eyes and moaned. That's not very smart. He tensed. I didn't murder him. I'm sure the police will believe you when they find your prints on his computer and track the email to you. Look, if I was going to kill him, I wouldn't have left my prints. I'm not stupid. The point is that he's dead, and your prints are on his computer, and you stole information from it. Asa didn't care. He caught you? I wasn't being sneaky. I didn't care if he caught me or not. Tess gaped at him. She didn't remember him being so audacious. What did he say? You know Asa, he laughed. He liked that he was getting a rise out of me. What did you do? I got mad. We argued. A memory of two men arguing flashed in Tess's mind. Had it been Jack and Asa? If she heard them, someone else might have too. That would be another mark against him. The point is, I know the police are going to find the prints and trace the email. That's why I need your help. She nodded. But she wasn't a defense lawyer anymore, and she wasn't feeling quite up to the challenge. Maybe you should call one of your lawyers in D.C.? His eyes narrowed. You won't help me? I think you should get someone who specializes in criminal law. You worked for the public defender's office. You kept tabs on me? Yes. He didn't look apologetic about it. This requires focus, and if you haven't noticed, I'm not at my full capacity. That's temporary. Look, Tess, you were there last night. You have experience, and I trust you. She tried to ignore the warm, gooey feeling his confession of trust gave her. Virginia is a capital punishment state. I didn't kill him. He ran his fingers through his jet-black hair. It was the first time she saw a crack in his composure. Look, I know the police are going to view me as a person of interest. I need your help to make sure they don't overdo it. She studied him, looking into the depths of his captivating eyes. Were they the eyes of a killer? She didn't think so, but how could she know for sure? 
They'd been close at one time, but that was three years ago. People could change. As if he knew what she was thinking, he leaned closer to her. I didn't kill him, Tess. You have to know it's true. She wanted to be left alone, to go on with the new life she'd created that didn't include anything or anyone from her past. But he'd been a friend when she'd needed one once. Everyone deserves a good defense. He jerked back as if she slapped him. What does that mean? You asked me to help you, and I will. He stood and paced the small area next to her bed. She wondered if he was going to go with her suggestion and call another lawyer. But he stopped and stared down at her. How can you help me if you don't believe me? I didn't say I didn't believe you. But you aren't sure. How can you defend someone when you aren't sure? Not everyone who needs a defense lawyer is innocent. Even so, they deserve a fair trial. The look on his face told her she couldn't have said anything more hurtful to him. She held her ground, returning his stare with her own. The knock on the door broke the standoff. There was a twinge of guilt as she watched him turn and leave her room. She listened as he opened her front door. Ah, uh, Deputy Dan, we've been expecting you. Mr. Valentine, just the man we've been looking for. Chapter 7 We need to go over a few points in your statement. Daniel said. He stood at the end of Tess's couch, looking much like a police detective of a rural town. His hands were on his hips, and he held a facial expression that suggested he wasn't going to believe anything Jack said. Tess knew better. He may want to project an air of authority, but Daniel was a fair cop. Still, she worried that Jack's fingerprints on Asa's computer would lead Daniel and the police to focus only on Jack. You're on the case? she asked looking up at him from the couch. She didn't feel much like a defense lawyer covered in blankets with a bucket next to her. The case will be assigned later today. I'm just doing some follow-up. He was trying to be professional, but Tess could see that he didn't like Jack's association with her. She wondered if the clinching of his jaw was the realization that Jack was wearing the same clothes he'd been wearing the night before. It won't take long. All right. Jack said, sitting in a chair crossing one ankle over the other as he extended his long legs. His elbows rested on the arms of the chair with his hands clasped over his abdomen. He looked comfortable, and not the least bit concerned about Daniel's attempt to wave his authority around. But Tess could see the tension in Jack's face. Daniel's partner, Sam, stood quietly next to Daniel. Daniel took a black notebook from his coat pocket. Tell us again what you did when you left Tess to find the others. I went to the living, uh, parlor. Jack corrected himself. Asa told us to meet there, but it was empty, so I went back to the entryway. Did you see anybody? Not at first. I was trying to decide where to go next when I saw Philip. From where did he come? The dining room. I asked him if he knew where Mr. Showalter was. You asked about Mr. Showalter instead of telling him about Mr. Worthington, his father. Tess saw a flash of annoyance in Jack's eyes. I thought it would be helpful to have Mr. Showalter there to manage the situation. He's the family attorney and knows everyone better than I do. Then what happened? Daniel said as he wrote in his notebook. He didn't know where Mr. Showalter was, so I told him about Asa and what Tess said about waiting for the police. Was anyone else there when you told him? Daniel's eyes lifted from his notepad and were piercing as they looked down on Jack. Jack's brows drew together. He looked to Tess and she wondered if he was thinking the same thing she was. Why hadn't Daniel asked about Philip's response to the news that his father was dead? But she nodded at Jack to encourage him to continue. 
Not at first, but his wife joined us as I was explaining what had happened. Where did she come from? Jack studied Daniel for a moment. Tess saw understanding come to his eyes, and she wondered when he'd let her in on the secret. How does where they entered the entryway matter? She asked. She came from upstairs, Jack answered. Tess shot him a warning glance to stop him from answering questions without her consent. Did Mr. Showalter and the Senator join you too? Mr. Showalter joined us as I was telling both Philip and his wife about Asa. Mr. Showalter entered from the front door, and the Senator came in from the hallway near the back of the house. Daniel let his arms drop to his sides. Are you sure about all this? What's this about? Tess asked, holding a hand up towards Jack to keep him quiet. There was something going on. Whatever it was, Jack knew what Daniel was hinting at. She didn't like being in the dark. He thinks I'm lying. Jack finally said. He turned to Tess. Remember last night when Philip's wife said they were together when Asa was killed? Tess nodded as understanding came to her. If they'd been together, they wouldn't have entered separately from different rooms. What does the maid say? Jack asked. Daniel's momentary look of triumph vanished. What makes you ask that? Because when I saw Philip, he had red lipstick on, and since I don't think he normally wears it, he must have picked it up from a woman. His wife is a woman. Daniel said. But she wasn't wearing red lipstick. The maid was... Daniel shifted, but maintained his confident stance. I suppose a man like you makes it his business to notice things like that on a woman. Jack's jaw clinched, but he smiled. As I said, Philip was clearly doing something with red lipstick. It was curiosity that had me looking to see if his wife wore red lipstick. When she wasn't, I knew it had to be from someone else. It could have been Tess. Tess's jaw dropped. No, Tess wasn't wearing any. Tess had a feeling that the discussion was moving away from murder to a testosterone-fueled pissing contest. She looked to Sam to see if he'd intervene. No luck. Did you question the servants? Tess asked. Daniel's look told her he was offended that she was questioning his work. Daniel, you know as well as I do that it's much more likely that one of the family members killed Asa. It's hard to believe Philip would. Why would he lie? Even someone like Philip can get pushed too far. Or it was the wife. Jack offered. I'm not sure Philip knew they'd supposedly been together until she said so in the parlor. Are you a mind reader, Mr. Valentine? No, but I'm observant. Philip was as surprised as I was to hear Shelby's claim. Daniel didn't look convinced as he made another notation in his book. Is that all you have to share? You're asking the questions here, Dan. Tess gave Jack a chastising look. No, I have nothing to add. He amended. Are you sure? Is there something specific you want to know about? She thought of the laptop that had Jack's fingerprints on it. Why hadn't Daniel asked about it? They would have certainly matched the fingerprints and probably traced the email by now. Daniel shook his head. No, but when the case is assigned, the detective will likely have more questions. Tess frowned. Is that it? For now. Daniel slipped his notebook into his pocket. Tess bit her lower lip, trying to decide how to proceed. Had they looked at the laptop? If so, Daniel would have certainly said something. But if they hadn't, it was in Jack's best interest to fess up to using the computer now instead of later. At the same time, it wasn't smart to give up incriminating information. Did you find anything in Asa's office that helps with the case? She finally asked. Like what? Daniel asked. She shrugged, 
hoping nonchalance would keep him from reading more into her question. Paperwork? Tracks? The back door was open. We're looking into the back door. There was nothing important on his desk or his files, and no one has indicated that anything was missing. Tess looked to Jack. His brows lifted, suggesting he was thinking the same thing she was. I'd like to talk to Jack alone for a minute. Daniel's face showed intrigue. He knew now that she and Jack had information. Okay. He motioned to Sam and they moved across the living area toward the kitchen. Can you wait outside? A cozy house was also one that made eavesdropping too easy. It's 20 degrees outside. You could wait in your car? Tess looked to Sam. He'd been silent during the entire meeting, but Tess knew he'd not been uninvolved. When they left, Daniel would be asking him about his impressions, what he may have noticed that Daniel had missed. Sam shrugged. Or maybe not. Five minutes. Daniel nodded to Sam and they both went out the door. The computer is gone, Tess and Jack said simultaneously. That doesn't make sense, Tess said. It was there when I found Asa. It was there when I found you. Why would someone kill Asa and then take the computer later? Jack shrugged. Timing. Or maybe someone else took it, Tess offered. Like me? The police will think so. Only they'll think you killed him too. Great. Jack ran his fingers through his hair. For the first time, he looked like a man who'd had a long night and hadn't made it home yet. Unless we tell them... What kind of defense lawyer are you? You're not supposed to give them information to put me away. No. But if that laptop shows up with your prints, you'll look more guilty. Plus, as a witness, I need to tell them that the computer was there. You're killing me here, Tess. Even if they don't find the laptop, if they get a warrant to search your email account, they'll be able to trace the information you took. She wasn't sure if they would ever get a warrant for his email. But these days, it wasn't uncommon to search computers for evidence. Jack stood and paced the area between her kitchen and living room. Your boyfriend will use it to put me in jail. No, he doesn't have any evidence. She ignored the boyfriend comment. Jack gave her a look that suggested he didn't believe her. I know I can keep you out of jail with what we know so far. The worst that will happen is that they'll put you at the top of the list of suspects, but you're probably there already. The goal was to keep me off the list of suspects. Then you shouldn't have broken into Ace's computer. Jack groaned and spun away from her. He looked through the French doors in her dining area to the backyard. Things must have seemed as bleak as the cold, dark day outside. If we tell them that I took some information, he started as he turned back to her, we'll have to give them copies of what I took. She nodded. What if that makes it worse for me? How could that happen? I don't know, but knowing Asa, he found something interesting. Have you been doing anything illegal? Not since high school. The comment piqued Tess's interest, but now wasn't the time to ask about juvenile pranks. Any skeletons in the closet that could hurt your reputation or cost you money? No. Then what could he possibly have? I don't know. That's what makes me nervous. He stood with his hands on his hips. We could find out now. Tess looked at her watch and then at the laptop that sat on her dining room table. Hurry, you've only got two minutes. Jack picked up Tess's computer from her dining room table and brought it to her. She turned it on, logged in, and then handed it back to him. You can access your email from my computer. Yes. He took the computer, his long fingers moving quickly over the keys. I don't get it. He said as he studied the screen. What? He turned the laptop so she could see the screen. 
The file has a copy of my birth certificate and information about my parents. And here's a birth certificate of someone else and a copy of a newspaper clipping. Uh, who's Brady Jackson? Tess said, looking at the birth certificate. I don't know. This clipping is about a woman Delia Jackson killed with her infant son in a fire. Maybe the baby is Brady. It says Delia worked for the senator. This clipping is over 30 years old. Why would that be in a folder with your name on it? Tess asked. Jack shrugged. Why would Asa have any of this? The good news is that it's not incriminating or damaging to you. I guess so. But Jack's face showed concern. Is there a problem? He looked from the screen to her. I just don't get why he'd have this. He doesn't gather information on people unless he intends to use it. How is he going to use this? Maybe he was hoping to find something to use. But there wasn't anything substantial. Jack shook his head. He was keyed up about something last night. We don't know it was about any of this, though. There was a single knock and then Tess's door opened. Time's up, Daniel said as he and Sam re-entered the house. So what's the big secret? Tess looked to Jack, who gave her a reluctant nod. Asa's computer is missing. She explained how both she and Jack had seen the computer when they found Asa. But since the police hadn't seen it, someone must have taken it. It doesn't make sense. Why not take it during the murder? It's possible someone else took it. Have you talked to Tom? Tess asked. Why would he take it? Daniel was unable to hide the protective tone at the mention of his father in connection to a crime. He knows it would be illegal for him to take something from a crime scene. He's Asa's lawyer. Maybe he was protecting him. From what? I don't know. It doesn't matter. He wouldn't have taken it. Daniel turned his eyes on Jack, who'd remained seated on the coffee table next to Tess. You could have taken it. I could have, but then I wouldn't have told you it was missing. Daniel didn't look convinced. Maybe you could let us search your car. Not without a warrant, Tess said. Not convinced your client is innocent. It's my job to make sure he's protected from overzealous law enforcement. Tess could see the same surprise in Daniel's eyes as she felt at their predicament. It wasn't so much that they were on opposite sides of a case. When she worked in the public defender's office, she had represented people Daniel had arrested. But this time it was different. It was personal, because it involved Daniel's family and Jack, someone she had a history with. In that case, I'll add your information to the report. I'm sure you'll be contacted for more information when the lead detective is assigned. Daniel and Sam wrapped up the meeting and left. Tess reclined on her couch, feeling exhausted and a little troubled by the interaction with Daniel. While she didn't love him, he and his parents were important to her, like family. It was unsettling to be in a position that would put her in opposition to him. That wasn't too bad. It sounded like a question more than a statement. It could have been worse. Can I get you anything? I just want to rest. Let me help you back to bed and then I'll run home and change. I'm fine here. She didn't want to move, so she settled into the pillows. He tucked the blanket around her. I'll be back in an hour or so. Is there anything you need while I'm out? Tess wanted to tell him she didn't need a nurse, but she realized that they still had more to talk about regarding Asa's murder. I don't need anything. He kissed her on the cheek as he got up to leave. Rest. Tess closed her eyes and willed sleep to come. Before she attained Rem, there was a knock on her door. It couldn't be Jack already. She started to sit up when the door opened. Hey, brat. It was a name Daniel used only when they were alone together. She'd earned the name when his parents, Helen and Tom, 
had taken her in during a break from boarding school. I've never done chores at my house, a 16-year-old Tess had said when Helen had asked her to sweep the kitchen after dinner. You're welcome to go home for Thanksgiving if you'd prefer, Helen replied. Although at the time it seemed to Tess that Helen didn't care one way or another what choice she made, she'd later learned that Helen had been very afraid that Tess would leave. But Tess decided a little sweeping was better than going home to parents who, at their best, were indifferent and at their worst, resentful of her. At the time, Daniel witnessed the incident and nicknamed her Brat. It wasn't a complimentary name, yet somehow he said it with such endearment that she accepted it. Can I come in? Yes, of course. She started to rise. Don't get up, he said as he entered her living area. He took a seat on the coffee table that Jack had just vacated. Where's Sam? He's running an errand. He'll be back for me soon. How are you doing? She asked, glad to have the chance to talk to him about Asa's death. I'm doing all right. She knew Daniel and Asa had never been close. In fact, she thought they'd had a falling out, but never heard the details. And Helen? She's struggling. She feels guilty for not being there. But she never attended his parties. No, but apparently he'd applied more pressure for her to be there last night. Why? Tess wondered if Asa had given Helen a clue as to the purpose of the gathering. That's the question of the day. Do you think it's why he was killed? Daniel shifted, looked apologetic. I can't talk about it, especially in light of who you're representing. Right. She felt sorry, too. Not that he would have been able to tell her much anyway. But somehow her representing Jack had become a wedge between them. Actually, I'm here because I'm worried about you. Me? It's just a little flu bug. I'm starting to feel better already. Good. I'm glad to hear it. But I was talking about Valentine. I know you said he's an old friend of yours. Tess could see he hated the idea of her having had a relationship with Jack, but before she could explain, he said, There's a lot of circumstantial evidence that doesn't look good for him. I thought we agreed we couldn't talk about that, under the circumstances. He nodded. Even if he wasn't a suspect, I'd be concerned. Why? She hadn't meant to ask because she was pretty sure he was feeling threatened by Jack's attention. She didn't want to have to remind Daniel, yet again, that she wasn't interested in romantic liaisons with him, or anyone for that matter. Daniel moved from the coffee table to sit next to her on the couch. I remember when you came back from D.C. You were so lost, unsure of yourself. I don't know all the details of what happened, but I do know that you broke away from everyone, including Jack, for a reason. I just don't want to see you get hurt. She took his hand, gave it a squeeze. I'll admit. It was a little unsettling to see him again, but it's not going to be a problem. He can't hurt me. Daniel's expression told her he wasn't as sure about that as she was. He's really a nice guy, she said. Under different circumstances, you two would probably hit it off. I doubt it. Daniel scoffed. Well, not now, of course. You think he's a murderer. That can hinder a budding friendship. There's that. And then there's the fact that he and I are in love with the same woman. 
I hope that you enjoyed this episode from Tales from the Heart and that you will be back to find out what happens next. To make sure that you don't miss any episodes, hit the subscribe button so that you can be notified when new episodes are posted. And don't forget, you can get the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free through my website at jennahart.com. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after.